Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38 from the NIV version, um, but you can find it on page 1188 in your pew Bibles if you would like to follow along. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the, har ask the, Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It is such a great blessing to be with you here this morning. I, I was touched by our worship team as they led us in praise. We do worship a God who's bigger than any problem that we could have and that is a force in this world for good, regardless of what kind of situations we may face or our world may face, and how fortunate we are not only to have that reality, but to be reminded of, of it this morning. Uh, Sylvia and I are really getting, looking forward to getting to know you. Um, we know we won't be here that long. As uh, Pastor Bonnie said, we, we have experienced several interim pastorates, um, and I know that my job is to work with Jesus as he gets you ready for a new pastor. You all wish it were going to happen sooner than later, and that makes a whole lot of sense. But God's got a timetable, and he's already at work. We know he knows who that person's going to be. We don't. And I... We'll never know anything about that, which is the way it should be. But we've, all, we've just been tremendously blessed to watch what God then does uh, after we've been in a church for several months and the marvelous blessings that he brings. And that's one of the things we look forward to with uh, First Free Methodist Church. And it will happen. But let's get acquainted. And we need to do it sooner rather than later because this is not going to last for years, okay? We found one of the best ways to do that is if you have a small group and you'd be willing to invite us for one of the meetings, an evening or whenever you meet, we'd love to do that. Uh, it's just a great way to get to know people uh, very quickly. Or if you want to stop by the church, my door will often be open uh, if there isn't somebody else that I'm still visiting with, please pop in. Invite us to coffee or lunch or dinner or, or we'll take you to lunch. Um, reach out if you would and let's, let's use this time in just the way the Lord has in mind. Well, this morning I want to take us into that Matthew chapter 9 passage. And let me give you just a little bit of context, Okay. Of course, Wednesday is Ash Wednesday, and of, as you already know, we'll have a, a service here in the church on Wednesday evening at 7 o'clock. Ash Wednesday begins Lent, and for the Sundays of Lent, I would, li I would like to take us into uh, 
a number of New Testament gospel passages where Jesus operates with his true love and power. Um, there are about a dozen places in the New Testament where the gospel writer, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, specifically says that Jesus reached out and physically touched someone. Now, this has become very fascinating to me because, number one, we all know he must have touched far more people than that. Um, you know, pre-COVID, of course, we all touched more people, but that'll, we'll get over that too. But Jesus was touching probably hundreds or thousands of people. Why is it in these dozen or so situations the gospel writer, again, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, specifically tells us that he touched someone. You can imagine what it meant to a leper to have Jesus touch him. And the gospel writer tells us that he did it. And it's pretty clear, I would think, part of the reason why that's there. He touched children. He touched blind people. He touched the disciples on occasion. I think it should be an interesting time. Now, in a way, in preparation to that, almost like a pre-Lenten message, I want to take us into this passage because this is a summary passage of how Jesus operated in this world. First, a sentence about what he was doing and how he did it, and then a specific example of how he reacted to a group of people. And it will help us understand a bit more of how God chooses to work when he comes into our lives. Um, when I grew up, for whatever reason, I got in my mind that it was better, in fact, it was holy, never to put anything on top of my Bible. Bible should always be the top of the pile. And it probably same, came from the same place when... Um, People who were teaching said, uh, you know, you might want to color code that or underline that or write in it. My first reaction was, ooh, not in my Bible. Now, maybe some of you have had some of that same feeling. We know that the, if, if this bonded leather binding is holy in any way, it's because of the meaning of the words that are in here. And there's nothing particularly holy about the ink or paper here unless it's somehow related to this meaning of, of what's here. And so, um, you know, I'm largely over that. So I do write in my Bible. I can tell you more about that, but it doesn't fit here. Uh, this morning, if you're over that, or never were afflicted by that. There are three words in this text. This is where I'm getting to, okay? There are three words in this text that I would encourage you to circle or underline, whichever is your choice. Because in these three words, we see the main thrust of the way that Jesus was involved in day-to-day -day ministry. For example, the first word you might circle uh, for me neatly 
That's the way I do it, but you do it any way you might want. The first word you might underline or circle is the second word in the text that was written, for, that was read for us, where Matthew tells us Jesus went. Just simply the fact he didn't stay in one place. Forever, the church has been in movement. Now, buildings are important. They become significant places for people to remember what God has done in their life, important places for us to gather together. But the church, if it stayed in the building, wouldn't be a church because by its very identity, it does what Jesus does and it's moving all the time. Now here, Matthew tells us what Jesus did as he went. As he went, he was teaching and he was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and he was healing every disease and sickness. So he was in action as he was moving, uh, teaching. Now, you know, we sit across the street from a really wonderful university, and teaching goes on there, but I doubt that what Matthew was talking about is limited to what goes on in the classrooms there or in our classrooms here. Here's the way I like to think about this word teaching. You're sitting with a friend, having coffee, tea, soft drink, whatever is your preference, and you, this is a friend you're often with. You just like to hang out together, spend time together. You're talking about various things and and it seems as if all of a sudden you're talking about some tough things that have gone on in your life or maybe some special blessings that have gone on in your life. And you hear yourself begin telling what God has done in you and how that has taken place. You're, you're teaching just by living, just by talking or proclaiming Jesus went. He was teaching all the time, going through the wheat fields, he was teaching his disciples every opportunity and proclaiming. Now, some of you may have an older translation of the NIV, and the word here is not translated proclaiming, it's translated preaching. And when I first noticed that change, I thought to myself, as someone who has spent a lot of my life preparing to preach I thought to myself now that must that must be important that those translators realized in our culture people would not understand what Jesus was doing if the word there was preaching and maybe the word proclaiming would just cause enough inner thought so people would begin to realize this is not something that has to happen at uh, you know 10:30 on Sunday morning or in a context where we've already had a worship event that Jesus was proclaiming wherever he went the difference that God could make in someone's life and so go back to that time when you're with your friend now this time you're not just talking about some of the things you've learned as you walk with Jesus. For whatever reason, on this occasion, as you're sitting with them, 
you begin to realize that God's doing something beyond it. And maybe this friend of yours, that you really aren't sure where they are in relationship to Jesus, maybe this friend is ready to take another step and, and almost without realizing, because you're not a professional evangelist, of course, almost without realizing it, you're beginning to tell this friend some of what God has done in your life in terms of, of your new life, your eternal life that you've experienced with him. And without even realizing, you're beginning to quote certain verses of scripture that have become very important to you. And you are telling that friend the gospel of Jesus Christ, how their life can be changed. You see, wherever the church is, just like wherever Jesus was, the touch of love is experienced because we're willing to go. Perhaps this, uh, this text is more important to me than it would be otherwise because of uh, one day I realized that if the church hadn't been willing to go, that I probably, I probably wouldn't know Jesus. And I might not even be alive. Um, just the short story of my dad uh, grew up on the streets as a street kid in a small city in upstate New York, Jamestown, brought up by his alcoholic grandfather because his stepfather, when his stepfather married his mother, said she could keep one of the boys and she thought she had to keep the baby who was a little younger than my dad. So brought up basically on the streets. And it, today, you know, you might call the group he hung out with the gang. Fortunately, drugs weren't as available at that time as they are today, or probably I wouldn't be in existence. Um, there was a little free Methodist church in that city with people who for some reason noticed that gang of guys and started to figure out how they could make a place that those kids would find Jesus. In fact, one of the older women, this is a, one of my favorite parts of the story, would get on the streetcar every once in a while. She'd take some, some claws and she'd take some oil and she would take the streetcar to the other side of the city and she'd find these guys and she would like wash their feet. I mean, in the summertime and maybe more than just in the summertime, they didn't wear shoes and their feet really got banged up. She'd wash their feet and put the oil on it, clean them up. I thought to myself, you know, it's not surprising most of them came to Jesus. You don't experience that kind of going and that kind of loving if, without it having some impact on your life. And, and so, not surprisingly, my dad found Jesus, became part of the church, found my wife in that church. I mean, my wife, my mom in that church. Um, they would have never discovered each other otherwise. Wherever Jesus is, the church moves. So that's the first word. He went. Now the second word is in verse 36. And I have to be careful here because I don't want to forget to give you all three words 
because some, that's going to bother somebody if I miss it. You understand that. The second word is in verse 36, he saw. It's the second action of our Lord. So it's not just moving around, but something like that little church in Jamestown, New York, noticing that gang of guys, Jesus looked out at the crowds, and when he saw the crowds, notice, notice how he reacted. He had compassion on them, Matthew tells us, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Some of you know the, the power of the Greek word that here is translated compassion. Our word compassion is weak and communicates little of what the word, the Greek word here translates. This, well, this word describes what we ought to feel when we feel compassion, I suppose you'd say. So this word describes when one human being so completely sees the situation of another human being that they, they have a, not just an emotional reaction, they have a physical reaction. It's like their gut just starts to shake because they so totally identify with that person who is hurting. And so Jesus sees the crowds and, and he can't help but react. He sees them as harassed and helpless. Um, words that basically mean a person that's totally inebriated, so they can't do anything else, or a person who's nearly dead. He must have seen into their mind, seen into their hearts, how desperate they were, and he couldn't help reacting as a result. You know, part of what this means to me is that when I go so, some through some little trouble in life, or maybe a bigger trouble, and for most of us, it's the fear of the big trouble that torments us the most. But if you go through the worst that life can bring to you, how does the God of the universe react to that? He reacts the very same way Matthew records here in the ninth chapter of his gospel. He cares so deeply. Jesus saw, he sees us. And the third word is, then he said, the word said. It's the third action here, okay? It's very simple. He spoke. Now the surprises, at least to me, begin to come. I mean, how many times had I read this scripture and he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest and not begun to get a hold of the surprises. You know, for one thing, as I was looking at this text, it hit me. You know, I've been taught in the church to pray for people who don't know Jesus. And I think that's a really important thing to do. If you have a friend, a relative, especially somebody close to you that doesn't know Jesus, to pray for them is very, very important. But I thought to myself, that is not what Jesus asks us to do. And in fact, 
There are very few, if any, places in the New Testament we're told to pray for the lost. Isn't that interesting? So that's the first surprise. The next surprise is that he presents this not as a problem, but an opportunity. The fields are white unto harvest. What's that mean? I mean, it's all ready to be taken in. So he doesn't, I mean, it is a problem. He's just convulsed inside because he cares for these people. But when he presents it to his disciples, it's not as a problem, but as an opportunity. And then, another surprise, he doesn't say, go get the equipment and you start the harvest, does he? I mean, like, that's what I would have done. Good manager that I hope I am. We've got all these hands, the job's ready to do. Let's get on with it. Does he say that, though? No. I mean, doesn't really make sense, does it? Pray, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So the prayer is for the workers. If there are workers, then there will be a harvest. If there are workers, people who need Jesus will find Jesus. I think that's what's going on here. Several years ago, uh, I had one of those wonderful pastoral opportunities. Uh, Dale had come with his mom to church for months and was uh, unusually spiritually sensitive, 11-year-old. And um, his mom got a hold of me and says, you know, Dale would really like to be baptized. So this is one of the fun things that pastors get to do. So we, we go and sit down with somebody and, and talk to them about what baptism means. And of course, that means we talk to them about what it means to walk with Jesus, to have invited Jesus into their life and to share in this wonderful gift of eternal life. So I did that with Dale and it was fun. He, he was there, he was ready. And of course, I talked to his mom, Carol, and made sure she understand what was going on with an 11-year-old. You don't want to do something, if possible, that, that parents are uncomfortable with. You want them to know what's happening. But then I realized that I had just met Dale's dad, Jim. Um, he never came to church with Dale and Dale's mom, Carol. But he seems like a nice guy. He was a big, burly guy. Actually, he was a policeman, too. Gentle guy, but but a big guy. And I said to Carol, you, do, you think, do you think Jim would mind if we visit for a few minutes? Speak, you know, Dale has two parents, and I'd like Jim to know what's going on. She said, well, you, you can ask him. I'll almost remember her saying, you can ask him. And so I did. I said, Jim, you have a few minutes. We could talk a little bit about what's gonna, what Dale's going to do. I think you'd, you'd, you'd appreciate knowing it. He said, sure. So we went out on the porch. That was really a gift of God. We got out of you know, the room with everybody else. Went out on the porch, said, I, if I remember correctly, it was at one of these long uh, swings, uh, chair swings, but I'm not sure on that. And we sat there, we were just talking about this baptism that his son was going to experience and what it meant. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, I just got this really unusual sense Something more is going on here than I had planned for. Um, you know, we had been talking about what it meant to 
ask Jesus into your life, and then you're baptized. And, and you know, I'm just so thankful that the Holy Spirit nearly hit me over the head, so I didn't miss it. And, and I realized, there I said, and I said, Jim, um, have, have, you, have you ever invited Jesus to come into your life? And Jim said, no. I said, uh, you almost hesitate to ask this because you don't want him to say no, but I've learned saying no is more important. A lot of people have to say no several times before they can say yes. So I said, Jim, would you like to invite Jesus? And he said, yes. So there that evening, upstate New York, looking out over the fields in their farm home, I led Jim through a sinner's prayer. And at the end said amen and looked up and huge tears were streaming down his face. Now at the moment I celebrated, but it was afterward that what happened really hit me. I said to myself, you know, I was just at the right place at the right time. Um, you know, I'm not even sure I prayed very many times for Jim. I'm sure I did some. Somebody must have been praying for Jim. Then I put that experience together with this text, and I said to myself, I didn't know it was going to happen, but I was a harvest worker for whom Jim's loving wife, Carol, had been praying. Maybe she, maybe she didn't conceptualize the idea that you got to pray for a worker. I'm not sure many of us would. But she was praying that God would do what needed to happen in Jim's life so he could experience what she had experienced. I, a few, a couple of years ago, we were back in that church again. And uh, when, I, when I was headed that way, I thought, boy, I hope, I really hope Jim has either moved away or he's still in the church. And I can tell you that this morning, it was a little earlier because that's back in Eastern time zone, this morning, Jim was probably parking cars at that little village church. All because, I believe, of a concept here. And, and here's the way I thought we might conclude the service this morning. We're going to have communion together. This is such a rich time of us taking in the goodness of God and saying some, some pretty important things to God because for whatever reason, he chooses to meet with us in special ways during this time. And I'd like to, in fact, I'm going to give you a little time before you come to communion to think in your mind, Lord, who are the people that you've put on my heart that I'm not sure really know you? Um, and I want this morning to pray for them the prayer of Matthew 9, 37 and 38. I want to pray, Lord, you'll send the harvest worker into their life. Maybe there's someone who is so close to you that you've said all you're going to be able to say. I think that was Carol's situation with Jim. Maybe they're so close to you, you said about as much as God wants you to say about their spiritual situation. But you know, God could send somebody into their life the way I like to think about it, Lord, send somebody into that person's life who speaks their language. 
they understand the way they talk. I'm just not talking about actual language, but, but, but the way we think. Send somebody into their life who they respect, who they would like to have care for them in some way and respect them. And let that person give the message in such a way that it will be easier for them to say yes and harder for them to say no. Let's take a moment and pray together, okay? And just give you a moment or two to think. Uh, who is it in the sphere of my influence or somebody I know, an acquaintance at work, a relative, a nephew or a niece, or maybe a child or a parent even, um, maybe a neighbor, that I just have had a special sense that I should be praying for them. Who is that person? And, and this morning, would you like to give that person to Jesus and say, send a worker into the harvest. This is opportunity. Whatever they're going through is opportunity for Jesus.